0: one is very profitable non-regulated lets the marketplace work lets investment work lets people actually make their own decisions and let's face it that's a heck of a, a heck of an incentive if i'm out selling a widget and nobody wants to buy my widget i better improve my widget to make it better it's the same for housing welcome to the get traction podcast If you are ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you with your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Z.
1: Charles Tassel, welcome to the program. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Tom. So, Charles, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do as an investor and... I know there's a political reason we have you on the show as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, Charles Tassel, I'm Chief Operating Officer of the National Real Estate
0: Investors Association. I've been engaged there for, I don't know, six, eight years, number of years beyond that where we work together. But I've also done a variety of things in housing for the past 20 plus years. I've worked for council members, for staff, worked congressional campaigns, and even been a local elected official myself. So. You know, from a lobbying perspective, registered lobbyists in multiple states, a lot of DC work. So kind of covering it from different gamuts, but also different facets of it as well, being on both sides and making sure that you're, you know, working on both sides of the aisle is always important.
1: So make sure you can work with people no matter what is always important. That makes a lot of sense. Well, let's let's talk about your... Real estate investing first. So what kinds of real estate investments have you done over the years? And you know, what do you like? What do you not like? That kind of thing.
0: So I actually started work with the Apartment Association a little bit. And a couple of guys, we were on a drive to the Capitol to meet with some folks. And one of the gentlemen looked at me and he said, "What are you going to buy some apartments? I said, <laughs> I don't know. I usually get called in when there's an issue and there's a problem. He goes, you know, we do make good money on these too. I said, okay, nobody's talked to me about this part of it. (laughs) So we started investigating a little more. And and especially in 2008 and nine, as recession hit, we started buying properties. And I can very vividly remember going to a closing, buying a little five-unit building that had the plumbing ripped out, which was fine because the bathrooms needed to be redone. We're like, perfect. And I'm driving back and there's a used Ford Astro van on the road for sale for more than I paid for that building. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is good. Uh (laughs) So we started off with actually some single family homes, did some flips with those. actually started looking at, we did a couple of flips with some small apartment buildings, then bought a couple of larger apartment buildings, a pair of seven units, a 26-unit building, another 24-unit building. And then we went from there, we jumped into, at one point we had 68 units, we bought another 168, and one fell swoop. That was uh, too much to bite off at one time. Um, That was pretty sizable. We had some management company working with us on some of that. Eventually we started downsizing and as we stabilized different assets and had them looking good, we had some offers we couldn't refuse and have sold off most of those pieces. And it's been really good since then. And looking at different entities and businesses to
1: get involved with on different aspects of real estate. Gotcha. So a time arc from buying up in the down cycle of 2008. We're recording this in 2021. You know, certainly not a lifetime. No, no. Thirteen Short time, years. Yeah, and doing quite well with them. Uh, looking at other
0: real estate and do some passive investment, which is, you know, if we take the you know, are you employed, self-employed, business owner, or are you actually a passive investor? If I could take Kiyosaki's, you know, rules or principles to work off of making that adjustment because it is a different thing. There's an illusion you have when you're self-employed that you're running a business <laughs> uh-huh. and, and transitioning actually to a business. I just said goodbye to one of my managers. I'm heading off on vacation for a couple of weeks. And he's like, I got everything under control. Take care. There we go that's a business as far as the investors, you know, and having some of those funds that's coming in, allows me then to work on things that I really
1: enjoy working on. Gotcha, so let's make sure we define that properly. You're saying a business is something you can walk away from, not something that you have to be, I don't mean walk away for good. I mean, you can walk away, go on vacation, not have it fall apart. That's what you mean. Correct,
0: correct. That, that one of those differences, you know, employee, you go, you get your job, you set hours, Self-employed, if you're not there working, you're not making money. Whereas the business is an entity that's running and structured, and it's an entity that's running on its own that you don't have to sit there and hover over and be there doing it. That's the beauty of it. So getting those little generators up and running, getting your money to work for
1: you rather than working for your money is a critical step. Huge difference. Huge difference. So you bought during the down cycle, which – makes logical sense and one thinks about it outside of it but how many people are afraid of down cycles afraid of of buying then think that everything's falling apart or that's not the time to do real estate because it's all collapsing
0: Well, oh, that's you know there's two phrases in mind one is you you know you're trying to capture the falling knife so that's always a careful thing when do you actually <laughs> grab the knife as it falls sometimes you can wait and see this really is the bottom and you can see where it bumps along the bottom. But sometimes by the time you're seeing that, it's too late, other people are coming in and swooping in. It's already starting to curve up again. Correct, I like Warren Buffett's line, buy when people are selling, sell when people are buying. So the big REITs are out there, larger companies are out there buying, especially looking for multifamily units. We were like, right here, take these, here
1: we go. And very happily done. So what does it take to do that? I mean, is, was it scary? Was there something kind of out of whack? Did you feel like, I don't know that for sure this is going to work. I mean, cause if it's that <laughs> difficult for most people to buy when there's blood on the streets, which I think is another part of that same quote, why did you right. just move ahead fearlessly and do it? Stubborn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: stubborn is good. I understand stubborn. <laughs> you know, there's a persistence and problem solving mm-hmm. and, getting people around you and in your team who are focused on solving a problem rather than, Oh, here's a problem. So, okay. Give me three options around it. And there may only be one option around, but let's, let's talk about what options are there to, you'll get the ball over the end goal line. That's really what it comes down to. And at one point, one of my partners looked at me and says, okay, I know you're working on it. I can't take the up and down and the back and forth of the banks and the attorneys and this and just tell me when I need to be there to work on it That's <laughs> we're working through all that side of it, and, you know, and as you're working through stuff and, you know, he and I are always on the same page, which takes a lot. And sometimes it takes sitting down and working through things, but, you know, and that's one of the things I just thank the Lord for a good partner and yeah. working through things that we can do that. It's very important to go into things. I've always heard, you know, horror stories about partnerships but you've got to go in with a clear understanding. And there's even things where I've gone up front and said, look, I need to make sure you understand I'm doing this, this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, but I need to tell you that. And he'll call me up periodically and go, I think I'm going to do this construction. I'm going to repair this. We're going to do that. And he said, okay. He goes, I just want to be on the same page with you. Okay. Yeah. You know, so over-communicate, it helps.
1: Err on the side of too much communication rather than not enough. That way there's no... Hard feelings because you're almost constantly reselling yourself to the other partner, but not in a bad way. Just in a I need to always remind the other partner, and they always need to remind me. That way you guys stay on the right. same page.
0: You know, well, it's it's a what are you doing? And at those times when you're going, We stretched a little farther than we should have stretched for this. <sighs> um, reserves are looking thin. What's it gonna take to get us, you know, and stretching and okay gets that next step and we just got to you know
1: put one foot in front of the next to get there and then it pays off that makes sense give me a few examples like what are some things for because that's a lot of you know large multi-use some some smaller ones medium-sized ones large ones what are some of the issues that come up that have stressed you and your partners out
0: so i'll give you a short one which is when you're purchasing from a sheriff's sale Mm -hmm. the bank always wants to have the title before they give you the money. The sheriff will not release the title until they get the money. Fix that problem. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, and that's where having a good real estate attorney who says, you know, I have a title company. We can set it up and make sure this is covered. He gives a short bond basically over to the you know, attorney. He's going to write to me and tell me I'm using the wrong language. He sends a nice letter over. It's covered to the bank. The bank releases the funds. We give it over to the sheriff and about 30 days later, The title comes in and goes over to the bank. Everybody's happy. Okay. But if you don't do that, you can't get the loan and you're paying cash for stuff that I didn't have that much money to reach my pocket and pay for, but I was still able to leverage and buy, you know, that kind of a property, 26 unit building, you know, and with occupants, about three quarter occupied at the time, that's, you know, and cash flows
1: well. So- Those are kind of the difficulties you come across. Absolutely. What do you look for buying criteria? I mean, when you're saying three quarters occupied, seems like a good value play there because there's a -hmm. bunch that you can still add to it. So if it's working at three quarters, be even better when you push it up to 90, 95, 100. But what, what are the other sorts of value plays that you look for? So the first piece we look for, you know, first
0: one is location. Is it worth looking for? Is it a dangerous area? We've gone to places where the, you know, drug addicts were literally jumping out of the windows as you're coming through the hallways you're like okay this is just get me out of here show me the exit uh-huh. so other properties you're like well this is a little gem hidden back here okay huh, okay so you go through check the bones of the building you know is it structurally sound is it you know the, the hvac systems the plumbing the electric all of that we did buy an aluminum building or a building with aluminum wiring in it okay. and then, again working through with the insurance company what does that look like because you're always paying a premium on that insurance when you've got aluminum wiring in there. You know, is the water good? Are the water pipes good? Are the sewers good? You know, those are your big costs. And then you're looking at aesthetics. How old is it inside? Does it look like the first house my wife and I bought that hadn't been refurbished since the 60s? And I was like, oh, yeah, this has got to go. <laughs> but those are lower cost items that can be done over time versus... Oh my word, the roof is leaking and there's literally a rainforest in one of the units. That's a problem. Gotcha. So, and I've seen that. And I've seen it where it's raining inside a building on a bright sunny day. And you're just going, wow, there's some serious problems with this structure. We're walking
1: away. Yeah. So, those are the issues that come up with the properties. What kind of issues come up with all those tenants, Charles? From a tenant perspective? Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> A machine gun number of answers inside my head. I got you. <laughs> So, You know, the first one, are there actual leases? Were they screened? Can I see the screening criteria? You know, did somebody fill the building up real fast with, hey, I know you're on the street right now, but come on in, stay in this unit. You know, those kind of things. Is it good documentation? That's one of the first pieces. And then what can you do from there? What residents are going to move in there? That's where, again, that location is important. I've got locations where a lot of nurses, a lot of seniors and elderly, because of a park. Those are some low maintenance, easy care. You know, those are kinds of things I love. Looking for those kind of, say, tenant markets, if I can say it that way, yeah. because that's that's what the tenant desires, and that tenant is who I'm looking for because they're stable, they're long term, they're looking to improve
1: their life and have a good, solid housing experience. I want to be able to provide that. Gotcha. Now, do you have a, do you have a scale? I've heard, you know, some people call, you know, A, B, C, D neighborhood, or one, two, three, four, sometimes in reverse, four, three, two, one. Do you have a way you score a neighborhood? Honestly, within neighborhoods, there are so
0: many blocks. I'm not in the A communities. Yeah.
1: (laughs) so We'll just start there. Yeah. (laughs) I think we all understand what A would be. Yeah. It'd be super fancy and nice.
0: Yeah. On the high end side of town, you know, and the cops look at you as you drive through, like, okay. I'm just driving through. Yeah, But going to, you know, your B and C neighborhoods, especially inside of a C neighborhood, especially you'll find areas that are really bad and really good. And that's part of what makes it a C neighborhood. And knowing the different blocks and really learning the community and seeing it at, you know, noon on Tuesday, 11 (laughs) o'clock on Friday night. Yeah. You know, what does six o'clock on Sunday evening look like? Is it party festival or is it, It's families out. You know, that's Mm -hmm. one of the first things we say, hey, there's some kids out playing and stuff. That tells me that the moms trust the neighborhood enough as well. And I'm saying with moms watching them versus I've seen kids just running around, you know, throwing stones and stuff. It's like, hmm, this is a problem area. So, you know, you can use some things like that to look at it to go, this is part of the block or this block is attached to an
1: area that's good. Let's look at investing here. So you could say when you look at a C neighborhood, you're, you're then breaking it down further to C plus, C minus?
0: Yeah. Well, I'd even go B and D. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, and when you hit one of those areas where, you know, the rain's coming in or the drug dealers are hopping out the window or drug users are hopping out the window, that's a problem. Yeah. So, you know, but sometimes you've got to go in and chase off the riffraff to clean up the building. And do you have the wherewithal to do that? Some people won't. Some people yeah. curl up and go, No. I had pulled into one of our buildings at one point and literally was just pulled in. I was waiting for my partner to get there. I'm in, you know, blazer and such. And this car pulls in, and these two guys hop out and they've got hair down. They've got tats and stuff like this. One of them hops up and they one stands in front of my car and the other one comes around the side of the car and they said, Sir, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? I said, I own the building. <laughs> yeah, I own this building. What are you doing here? And they looked at me and said, oh, uh pulled their badges out. They were police, <laughs> policemen. Oh, <geez. laughs> I would have never expected them to be policemen. Wow. And you know, I just looked at them like, you know, no, this is my building. Who are you and why are you here? Yeah. You know, and they went, oh, well, we're under. So by all means, please keep coming in. <laughs> you know? And they've been hired by the previous management company to, to do checks on the property. So Uh I was glad they were there. We had a great conversation and made them feel welcome.
1: Yeah, of course. (laughs) It literally takes all kinds. So that's, um, now you've bought them, you've improved them. You've, I'm assuming increased the value of them from that improvement, both the physical improvement to the property and the the tenant mix improvement.
0: Absolutely, And
1: then you've been turning around and selling them off. Yeah. So in many ways, a slow flip is it one way of looking at it? It is, especially
0: with a multi-family. It is a it's a longer process. The single-family you can turn around and out you go, but when the multi, you're stabilizing, which means you get into longer-term maintenance issues, you know, more people issues working yeah. through with residents. Having a good resident manager is fantastic, especially if you're smaller than like fifty or sixty units. You really it doesn't support necessarily having somebody on site. Mm-hmm. Having good resident managers, they like to take care of the building because they live there. And when gotcha. you find those people, one example I'll give you is we had a one of the buildings we purchased had four buildings next to each other, and they were 12 units apiece. But that basement unit that had the laundry room in it was basically a full-size apartment unit, which means it was a party room every night. So you had four party rooms at this point. <laughs> every single night and it was like oh my word especially if they started to fight so our first thing when we bought it was we went through literally shut it down to eight by eight laundry rooms where they boarded off door and over built those walls so you couldn't tear them down and suddenly the parties kind of shifted outside and people decided this isn't necessarily the place to be especially yeah. when they realized everything was on camera <laughs> okay. you know and Three months into it, the fire department comes through to do their inspection, and their comment was, you know, you guys have really helped stabilize this community. And we're like, man, we feel like we're just at the very beginning. And they're like, no, you don't understand. We got calls here all the time. We're going to get some calls, but it's dropped off tremendously. And we're like, yeah, there's a few people we got rid of right off the bat. <laughs> you got rid of a few people, and you got rid of their space to cause trouble. So to cause trouble, party, and the incentive to come there for other than just people who live there.
1: Yeah, rather than the common room that nobody particularly cares about if you put a fist through the wall or spray or whatever. I mean, you you can exactly no one cares about destroying it because it's communal space, it's not their individual space. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, the sticky floor with the broken glass on it was like, no, we're not doing (laughs)
0: this. So, So, Charles, you're not managing these yourself? No, no. (laughs) So, we did probably about the first 68, we were managing much
1: more personally, a couple of good resident managers. First, how many 68 units? Yes, two shy of 70, just to make sure it's not 628, but 68. Yep. 68,
0: we Definitely. are managing personally, and again, a good property manager at each site helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, you know, and Tom, when I see you get involved with people, literally, we had one of our resident maintenance guys ended up having a seizure one night walking up the stairs, and he had his, he'd gone downstairs to get his laundry and fell backwards landed on his head. Um, I get a call from his wife and they didn't have a car. So I went over and picked her up. We go up to the hospital and over the next three or four days, you know, university hospital said he's in a coma and he's not going to get, he's not going to come out. He was actually brain dead. And, you know, was there with her when they took him off life support, went through that process, you know, I mean, just you know, things you never thought about being involved with when I mean, you're getting it. You know, yeah, I'm going to buy this little apartment building. Okay. <laughs> oh, my word. And, you know, she's looking at me like, you know, what are the doctors saying? I don't understand. Gotcha. Yeah. The human element. There is. And that's part
1: of what you're signing up for. So. So be ready. What are people that want to get into commercial properties, want to get into multi-unit properties. What advice do you have? make sure you have a good team, first
0: and foremost, a good team, whether that's on the, and advisors that you can go, I have a question. <laughs> <What?"> yeah, gotcha. <laughs> you know, you know I, I just sent an email back to my attorney on another day. I said, I'm sorry to be dense, but what does this term mean? He's like, oh, that's, you know, in the event of a death, this person transfer. Oh, okay. Got it. Like, I just didn't know the initials, you know, yep. and at being willing to ask questions. So you don't just go, okay. I've seen people do that, go, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking they did not understand what was just said. And sure enough, they walk, now we're out. <laughs> they didn't even know what they were getting involved with. Gotcha. So really figuring those pieces out. One of the interesting things that I found is when you move past a four-unit building and going up into 12, 16, 20 units, the levels of efficiency that you can you get, it's tremendous because that roof that would cover the four-unit, may cover a 12 unit. Guess Same so. size roof. Yeah. Guess what? It only costs, you know, oh. if you break it down on a per unit basis, it's only one quarter of the cost or one third of the cost to put the new roof on, yeah. on a per unit square cost. So those are kind of things where you can start to go, hmm, okay, now I've got a little more money to play with. What am I going to do? What do I look at for amenities instead of just, Hey, I've got a single family and I'm turning around selling it my amenities might be a little bit different. So I've got a park view. Do I put some benches in there, but make sure they're for my residents, not for somebody else. Cause I don't want to draw the wrong people and then yeah. put my residents at risk. So, you know, and part of that's talking through the community and your residents finding out what they want on the commercial side though, is also a good relationship with the bank and asking them up front, do you have an appetite for something like this? Asking and the bank if, if they have the appetite. If they have an appetite for something like this. Because <laughs> some banks will go, Oh, sure, we'll take applications all day and they'll piddle around and you're two months down the road and still no nowhere forward. So that's a key question. Just how to interview the bank as a process. From there, then it's you know, being ready to provide all the documentation you need. And again, I'm thinking in terms of loans, because typically you're not buying a commercial property with cash. It's I need some sort of loan to put together to do this. Gotcha. So, that's
1: what kind of banks have you had more? I don't want to say luck, but what kind of banks have you had more luck with? Well, what, what banks have been more accepting to taking on the challenge that you're asking them to take on? So, some of the
0: smaller banks have been good, and those are, I mean, like local regional banks that actually look for investors. They understand what investors are looking for. The downside is they're going to be about 2% more than a big bank. But 2 percent's really not much when you start looking at, you know, my partner and I make the comment, I want enough room in this that I can make mistakes and still make money. <laughs> you know, because we made mistakes. And I can tell you some of those things you're thinking, oh my word, if we'd have bought this on, you know, you start talking cap rates and all that. No, no, I'm not that comfortable in how, how skilled I am. I want to make sure I've got plenty of room to mess up. If I, going to go forward. So we leave that room in there. So U.S. Bank has been one that I've used, but we've also gone out to private investors. And especially starting up, private investors were very helpful. And, you know, sitting down with them and saying, here's what we want to do, communicating with them, laying out the details of it and, they, you know, friends and family kind of thing. And that put the deal together and that helped us get to the 68 so that when we came to the 168, the banks went, you guys have been doing this. You got experience. You know, we want to do this deal. And part of that 168 was even seller financed. So that makes it even a little easier and asking for it sometimes. So those are kinds of questions that depending on how motivated they are, what the interest levels are, you know, you can kind of dig through that again, problem solving.
1: Interesting. And so compare it to, because I get this question all the time. But people want to do commercial, get into commercial, because like you say, the, the scale of it is huge, the scalability of it is great. I mean, when it, no, the same roof, like you said, for one property, it can, the same cost can cover a lot larger properties. So at what point would one make a shift? Do you, is it is it a beginner thing, jump straight into commercial? Is it, you know, should you flip a few houses first? Should you get your feet wet in single family? Because some people say yes, some people say no. I want to know what, say you,
0: so a friend of mine started with a single family and was well financed, mind you, and grew his eventually over from what 1990 up through now. He's, you know, they've got 8,000 units. Okay. You know, he merged with another company that had about 4,000 and then continued to purchase in part because they groom their investors and here's what we're looking at. Here's what we're going to next. And they've shown that they can turn a good in turn a good rate good return, in, uh, return for them. So the investors keep coming back and they've been able to grow a portfolio far more than I'm interested in doing. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. there's a model there of, you know, if you start a little, you know, start with a small house and start to make sure you put your teams in place and things and, and walk through that. I was literally just doing an interview the other day. And one of the questions they said was, you know, this all this house flipping crowd that's out there doing an interview with the uh, NPR Marketplace. And they were asking about you know this crowd, and I said the, cons- the problem is most of the that HGTV crowd that's out there. What they're not showing you is the depth of capital they have for when they tear into a wall and go, oh, you know, they kind of do a little. Oh, isn't this drama on television? But if it blows your budget out of proportion, especially when you're talking, you know, everything other than the California prices, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah, those can really blow up your budget and you know, one or two of those can sink a lot of people. So learning it at that level and really making sure you've got contingencies in place, your budget gives you enough allowance for things. Then moving towards that next level of, okay, a four unit, getting a couple of those under your belt, moving up to the next step. Because when it comes to the bank side of things, I mean, one of the things they said was, what's your business plan? I said, well, we want to buy this. And they said, no, no, give it to us in writing. And part of it was a little bit of a, you know, okay, let's just think through what we need to do. And literally our business plan was three pages. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the expertise we have. Here's our advisors. Here you go. And they said, perfect. You guys thought it out. That was, you know, and the fact that you thought it out and articulated it gave them comfort
1: in moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. What's the time commitment in the midst of all that? Is it Front loaded when you first take over property. Is there a constant thing? I know you said you're running it as a business, so you can walk away, but there's still some time commitment. What is that time commitment?
0: Yes, absolutely front loaded. A lot of my part, I end up doing a lot of the financing aspects of it. So before we even get to it, you know, sending emails, sending putting the paperwork together, getting the LCs put together, pulling all of those pieces together is, you know, and I'm touching base with my partner as we get closer. We need to get the budgets for renovation, put these things together, and we'll go through and walk them together, putting that whole package together. And then over the next one to three months after purchase, if you really focus on it at that time, that can eliminate a lot of your headaches going forward from there. And some of them, the bigger projects are going to take, you know, a year. And we had one that was a year and working through one hazard, one issue, one problem, one four in the morning shooting after, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So those are kinds of issues that you deal with. And just, if you, the more you take care of it on the front, invest in it and take care of it and do it the right way up front. I and mean, that's one of the things, you know, maintenance guy asked a question, well, we could do this or do that. What's the right way this way, gotcha. get it get it done that way. Well, it's going to cost an extra $4. You know what? Do it. The repair cost. If you don't do this, Oh, he's going to probably have to come back in about a couple of weeks to a month or maybe two, and it's going to cost another $65. Okay, well, see,
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, get, just, it, get it, do it right the first time, because otherwise it costs more to rip it out and redo it than it would have the slightly more cost to do it right from the get-go.
0: Right. And gotcha. some of those things you can do, I'll give you an example. We do glass top stoves. One is residents go, wow, this is a nice amenity. This looks really nice. It looks, it's newer. They're also really easy to clean. Gotcha. This is a and piece
1: of glass on an electric stove.
0: Exactly. It, it's simple. It's clean. It off you go. And so when you're turning units, you just saved a couple hours of maintenance time, and the residents got a nice amenity. Yeah. So those are you know some things like that that you can do. You start learning. about, You know what? You know we we went into one building that had four kitchens with carpet, four kitchens and dining rooms with carpeting. We're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> those got to go. <laughs> you know, that's straight to a, a good mess yeah from tile to wood to vinyl to different things you're trying and seeing what works and what works with the neighborhood what do they want
1: yeah good so 10 to 13 years build it up improve it make good money as you go and then cash out and do more things do different things take care of your family retire yeah. early
0: you can or just I've got some put some passive investments out there and let those continue to grow Bought a little, like I told you, I bought a car wash. Awesome. A little express car wash. Got that running. That's one of the little businesses out there working on some other stuff. And just I've sat down. I was offered two engineering businesses this year or okay. last year. And we looked at them. We looked at them hard. I just don't know enough about steel and grinding and all that to go, this makes sense or it doesn't. And I just yeah. had to walk away from them. Yeah. The other side is my investors and go, you're not comfortable with it. And you walked away. Okay, when you say you're comfortable and you really are, we're good with it because they also see you walking away from, you know, on paper, what could be a really good deal, but you don't have the, you know, that's not a real estate issue that I've got. I'm comfortable with that and I understand it. That business I didn't understand. I don't want to
1: pay the price of (laughs) learning it. Yeah, it's not the, uh, you don't want to uh, pay a very steep education fee. (laughs) As the case may go, okay, awesome. Charles, so that's on your investing side, commercial side. So I appreciate that because I know a lot of people, lots of questions on that. So it's helpful to hear from the front lines what actually happened, how that works. Now, you said at the beginning that your day job in a way is you're a registered lobbyist and you handle political work for real estate investors and the Apartment Association and the National Real Estate Investors Association. So tell all that affects all of us, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we're on the left, right, center, or somewhere else, it doesn't. It affects all of us. So let's talk politics for a little bit. Okay. That's always a good way to perk people up. Are, yes. Ooh, we just snap everyone back to attention. So what kind of issues do you routinely deal with for real estate investors? And what's coming down the pike? What do you see in the future? So
0: a couple of different issues that we've been dealing with. Affordability is one of the biggest across the board. Affordability. Affordability and real estate investors are really in kind of the best place to address that issue because those C property or C communities we talked about before, as you move from that C into that D and maybe E area, mm-hmm. especially D can typically be recapitalized, and what happens is now what was a C community becomes a C plus community, and the area that was abutting that that was a, an E. Now kind of moves up to a D property, okay. And but that level of housing where somebody can say, you know what, I'm only making ten dollars an hour, or eight dollars an hour. I'm putting two part-time jobs together. I need some place that I can live. You know, when you're a local investor and you're you're able to look them in the eye, talk to them, communicate with them back and forth, there's a a greater interpersonal need for that, and. Affordability is really where small investors can actually help the most, and have been helping with over fifty percent of the country renting that way. So it's very effective. But the affordability, I'll say, theme or mantra is kind of this—you know—the guy who ran for president a few years ago, uh, rents too darn high, kind of thing. And we just need it. You know, it's like, okay, well, you're living in New York, where they've got their own issues. And sure. when you start breaking down on a regional level. Where the rent's too high, there's typically barriers to housing in place and barriers to development and lots of regulation in place that drive investment away. That's just the realities of how life is. And being able to clearly articulate that to decision makers is very helpful. The other one is the eviction issue. We deal with that all the time. And it's one of those things, if there's not a consequence, if you don't pay something, You know, I can walk into Kroger and, hey, I just help myself to everything, go into Publix, help myself out with everything, and I just walk out. Don't stop. Well, okay, that doesn't do any good. We're finding that out. Prosecutors around the country that are doing that. And stores are going, "Mm, I don't think we're going to do business here. Right. So in areas where, investors and property owners are not allowed to actually maintain their buildings. And the more the government comes in and tells them, oh, we know better than you how to run your property. What happens is you get fewer and fewer people who are saying, okay, I'll let you do that. They say, oh, okay, I'll divest and I'll move someplace else. And I'll reinvest into other areas. And the deinvestment that we're going to see and continue to see in some of these over-regulated markets it's escalating and it's going to continue to escalate there was a comment that was made i'm going to get political here for a second you're going to see the difference in communities are kind of like east germany and west germany <laughs> one is very profitable non-regulated lets the marketplace work lets investment work lets people actually make their own decisions and let's face it that's a heck of a heck of an incentive if i'm out selling a widget and nobody wants to buy my widget I better improve my widget to make it better. It's the same for housing. If I can't get renters in, hmm, maybe I actually should uh, fix that ceiling and roof and improve the, make improve, it so the, actually, improve the
1: housing and get the renters in.
0: Suddenly they start flowing in. And if I'm in an area where they're like, no, no, you can't do that without 16 pages of paperwork and it's cost this, and you have to go get these kind of people, and only these people are allowed to do the work, you disincentivize investment in an area.
1: So and, an overregulated area is something to be cautious of and aware of going forward because it's gonna put a a big uh, strain on you as an investor and an area with more normalized, lesser, let's say regulations or regulatory red tape is an easier area to invest in. It is. And
0: I'll go back to the investor side of things for a minute. Even in a more heavily regulated area, if the inspectors know that you're trying to do the right things, they will typically back off from you for the most part. They might come down and hit you once in a while to say, because what you have to understand is they're hitting, getting hit from their bosses that they have to have some <laughs> things that are actually closed, not just, man, I've, this guy that doesn't live around here. I've sent him 16 tickets and nothing's happened. My boss is yelling at me. Well, I'll go over and give Tom a violation on this thing and he'll solve it real fast. And I look good and he Ooh. looks good. Look at, you know, and, <laughs> And you're like, really? Why? And once you understand that, they're like, no, no, it's fine. Just go ahead and take care of that. It's fine. I'll send you the paperwork on it. And you just send me pictures back. We're good. I've seen that more than I care to admit. And behind the scenes, what it is, is bureaucrats trying to take care of themselves. And in a heavily
1: regulated environment, that's what they do. Imagine that. (laughs) Shocking. I'm shocked. Shocked to find this gambling in here. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. What other... Because I know you deal at local level, state level, federal level. So what do we as investors have to, which level do we need to be most concerned
0: with? Local is always most important. Always make sure you're paying attention to the local level. What what transpires at the local level will inspire at the state level. So that motivates the state legislators to get involved to do things because they're seeing it at their local level. Constituents drive legislation. So, if there's a, you know, a bad issue, and typically it's a, it's not something that's illegal, let me say that it's not something that's not illegal. Okay, it's probably already illegal with all the laws we have on the books, but by golly, that legislator is going to make sure that specifically is mentioned, and that specifically issue is legally redistricted or rewritten or recoded, so that this issue cannot occur again. You know, and that that's what happens if, if something's not taken care of at the local level. The council members, the mayors will get on it, and then it goes up to the state level, and the state will start looking at potentially doing laws once it hits a couple of areas. So
1: that's really where most people live. That's where the most legislation comes from that impacts you the most. Interesting. So in many ways, it's the opposite of the cliche. The proverbial is rolling uphill.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it really does, you know. At the federal level, the rules that are coming out, and this is the most difficult part, it's not Congress that -hmm. really causes the most stress. That gets the headlines. Yeah. And the problem is they get the headlines when the regulations that come out from EPA, OSHA, HUD, Department of Justice, one after another, keep coming out, CDC just extended. Yeah, I mean, those kind of regulations, orders, edicts, that just keep coming out and keep rolling and keep generating. Tom Delott used to say it's the termites eating away at the structure of the the fabric of the country. Nice. And that's what each one of these regulations and rules is doing. You're just burying people under it. And yeah. At some point, all these, you know, if I can use this analogy, at some point there's enough straw that breaks the camel's back. So what
1: do we do? What do we as, you know, your average real estate investor? flip some houses, own some rentals, own some commercial. you know, Your average run-of-the-mill American real estate investor. What do we do to protect ourselves?
0: So I'm going to go to a different story. So when I first ran for city council, you have to go out and get signatures to get on the ballot. And I walked around I had to get 25 voter signatures in order to do that. So you end up getting, you know, 37, 50, something like that to make sure you got enough. I had one door where the person asked me a couple of questions. And I had one door where the couple, nice older couple said, Mr. Tassel, why don't you come in here and sit down? We'd like to talk to you. And so we went in, sat down, and they started asking me some questions. And about five minutes into it, I just said, thank you. (laughs) I said, you're the first people that really asked any questions. All these people are signing And, you know, you smile and say, hey, I'm running. They're like, oh, okay. You know, at that level, (laughs) asking, you know, who that is, what do they stand for, and being willing to say, I don't think I can support that. I use an example of um, Pat Berry, who was a politician in Ohio. And I don't say that in a pejorative sense, just (laughs) just a fact. Making that clear. (laughs) He was a township trustee for about four years. And... Eventually, he became a state representative right after that four years. He did about six or eight years at township trustee, congressional seat open, and he went to Congress. So that person that you're signing that little petition for to be a trustee might be a state rep in four years or six years, might move on to Congress from there. And the experiences that they pick up at that local level, they carry with them the whole way. So those are, that's one of those things that's like. It doesn't take much at a local level. Hey, you know what? I've got six units, you know, scattered around. I'll put your sign out. I really like what you stand for. I'm going to support you in this and I'll write you, you know, a 25 or 50 dollar check. That's a good statement. And guess who they're going to call when a housing issue comes up or a rental issue comes up? They're going to call you and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Give them the give them the comment, give them the feedback. That's really what if local investors did more of that. That helps more than you know you know we talk about you know pitchforks and torches going to city hall after the you know the third reading of something and it was like how did this get this far and they're like well where have you been on my cards as a councilman on the back side of it it had the hours and times that we met and the location and invite people please come down to council inevitably we'd have the same three people who sat in the audience and every once in a while there'd be a couple extra people we all kind of went hey, there's extra people here today. Something must be going on. you know. And, <laughs> and one of the ladies had said, "You know, I've lived here for my whole life. I've never been to one of these meetings. Shame on me. I'm going to start coming more. That was the only time we saw her. <laughs> you know, it's like, I get it. We're busy, but
1: popping in once a year to a meeting. Very helpful. Gotcha. Show your face, be known, start to influence at the very local level because that'll obviously work quite well in the present day, but also... As that person moves up in their political career, then you gain a value from it as well. Plus, it doesn't sound like you have much competition, so to speak. It should be easy to get the air of the legislator of the politician because if there's only three or four other people there, you're not exactly walking into a crowded space.
0: Right. And you know, people come up and they get real nervous, and it's like, don't be nervous. We're all just people.
1: You know,
0: tie our shoes the same way. You know, and just one of the comments I like to say is. I'm on a pointed to a zoning appeals board. And one of the comments, I said, Look, we're just neighbors trying to help each other. And a couple of the board members looked at me and went, Yes. Yes. Yes, <laughs> that is right. You know, and this is what the law says, this is what the code says. Here's how we get, you know. And that's really when you look at it from that perspective, suddenly it's not, well, it's them way up there in their elevated seats. And yeah, you'll get arrogant people once in a while, but Most people really are, especially at the local level, just trying to help
1: and do something in their neighborhood. That works. Because you think about it, you see the exact impact on, you know, if you don't do things that work in your neighborhood, you see the exact impact on how quickly that can impact your bottom line Mm -hmm. as a real estate investor, as a landlord, as a multi-unit landlord. And when favorable things happen, how much better your business can get? Because if you have less red tape, there's less expenses, your bottom line tends to go up.
0: And I love it when my assets appreciate. I don't necessarily like to pay the taxes on them, but I like it when my assets appreciate.
1: (laughs) It's not a bad problem to have. You know, it's, no, yeah, I don't want to pay taxes either, but if there's suddenly more of a tax bill because the thing's appreciated, excellent. There's more of a tax bill because the taxes just went up, not so nice. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Charles Tassel, fantastic. That is, I think, a very interesting perspective on how to handle things politically in the best spot to do it. There's a lot of value hidden in that local area first. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing how that you've also parlayed your experience dealing with other real estate investors into becoming one yourself as well. And running that all at the same time is Absolutely. fantastic. Absolutely. Worked out well for you career wise, right? It has helped uh, tremendously.
0: I appreciate it. I like it having, you know, it's a good experience as well. And you ask what people can do, yeah. I'm going to say something, and they're going to go, "Not me, no, never." <laughs> Let's Run say it. For local office. Run for local office. Why do you say that? Get involved. A, a lot of times, especially now, we're you know, I don't volunteer for anything kind of communities anymore. People are too so busy.
1: Yeah. There's
0: not people willing to do it. And as Plato said many years ago, if you don't participate, you're going to be ruled by people who are dumber than you.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay.
0: So. <laughs> either you know you're either going to be ruled by your inferiors or you help participate okay and that may mean sure I'll sit on a housing board or I'll sit on a zoning board or I'll sit on you know we meet once a year maybe or maybe we meet twice a year and and then the next thing they know is say hey we've actually got an opening on our council would you consider it well sure okay next thing you know you're running for mayor six years down the road because you're just taking care of your community and especially in small towns across America, that's really where we're at. And especially if you're already an investor, you understand what investing in your community means. So, you know, this is just one more aspect of that life. And if you're networking already as a real estate investor, this is just a natural progression of that.
1: Yeah, certainly builds onto that. So don't be afraid of the old saying, you know, how finding out how laws and sausage are made. You shouldn't be afraid. You should get in there and at least make good sausage. Exactly. Absolutely. Love it. Loss. Good to know. Charles Tassel, thanks so much for the interview. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Tom. Anytime. Glad to help. Appreciate all you do.
0: Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit GetTractionPodcast.com. Happy wholesaling.